0: Well, thanks for having me here, Graham, and uh, good to see you again. I've been here once before, and I feel like I just haven't left. Graham, did you know there's a new game called um, walking soccer? It might be better for you to play that. It might save your toes. Shall we pray before we begin and ask the Lord to be our teacher? Heavenly Father, we do thank you and praise you for your word. And we do pray that your spirit might empower your word. Father, without your spirit, we are really dead. And we pray that you might come by your living spirit and awaken us and encourage us and spur us on as your people. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't know if you have a vision but you can see on the screen there some people have a vision for all the things of this world, but your church might have a vision. But I can guarantee you, if you don't have a vision, your life will end up being like this. Because a vision will help you to have a mission. And the mission is like the stepping stones to reach the vision. So if you don't have a vision, you'll end up having a blank sort of life. Now, whether we like it or not, we all have a vision in some way. In, in the book of Isaiah, uh, it, it's a vision that God has given to Isaiah. And it actually moves from a battered, bruised people into a glorious new heaven and earth. And John's gospel in chapter 12, verse 41, it actually tells us, John says, Isaiah wrote what he wrote about in the book of Isaiah because he saw Jesus' glory and so he wrote about it and spoke about it. So I want you to think about this for a minute. In Isaiah 6 you see a vision where Isaiah sees someone on the throne and it's the king. It's Jesus in his pre-incarnate state. And there he is on the throne. And that one who's on the throne is going to end up becoming the suffering servant of chapter 40, 42, 56, where the person will suffer. And and so the suffering Lord Jesus, the incarnate son, is the very one that Isaiah saw on the throne. The people are battered and bruised because they actually rejected the Lord. And it's a consequence of their own self-indulgence. And I actually think our world is really going through a time of battering and bruising, isn't it? And basically it's because our world is in in rejection of the lordship of of Christ in so many places. Well, not not everywhere. The Christian world is actually growing in the majority of the world, but not so much in our own country. But the vision starts with a bad or a, a, a stubborn, bruised people and ends up with a beautiful new world. Now, that's the vision we need, isn't it? As we go through a world of COVID, as we look at wars around us, as we look at floods and pestilence, we can almost think, what is it? What's happening? But we need the vision that Isaiah has because that's not the end of our world, is it? Our world is going to be a glorious new world in Jesus Christ. And we need this vision of Isaiah's. When we look at this passage, that I'm going to look at in Luke's Gospel now, I want you to think of it as trying to understand it in a bigger picture of the Bible rather than just in its little little block so I'm not going to do in depth teaching of that passage I'm going to look at some elements of it and try and speak about it in our world today and in our lives so my first point is this: there's a mission within the mission so you'll see there I've got uh, Jesus comes to save and that's That's his mission. And the 72 is like a mission within that. But his mission is uh, to come and save a world that is under judgment. In chapter 9, verse 51, and if you've got your Bible open, you might want to uh, follow these passages. You may not. I might have them up there anyway. Uh, I do. I forgot. I'm using a PowerPoint. In Luke chapter 9, verse 51 as the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. Notice that he's determined to go to Jerusalem and in Luke chapter 13 verse 33 it says, I must press on today and tomorrow and the next day for surely no prophet can die outside of Jerusalem. So Jesus as he's going to Jerusalem deliberately, he is aware that he is the suffering servant of Isaiah. He is the one who's going to be pierced and take the transgressions of the world upon himself. So Jesus chooses to go to Jerusalem knowing that it's a place of certain death for him. But that's his mission, that's his purpose. He came to the world to die. Jesus is determined to save his people, he's determined to be crucified and cursed as the innocent one, so that the guilty may be set free. You and I set free. I don't know if you remember in 2018, there was a group of students that were trapped in a cave in Thailand, a soccer team, and there was a team of people that set out to save them. One of the men that set out to save them actually died in the act. So determined was the team that they'd lost a member but they still pressed on and they ended up saving the boys and the coach. Now that Sonam Gunam who died in his attempt to rescue laid his life down for those boys. And that's just a really small little taste of what Jesus does for us, doesn't he? See, when Jesus came to earth, he gave his all right down to his last heartbeat. For you and for me to die and rescue us. Look at chapter 9, verse 46, for a minute, and you'll see the disciples and what they're doing. What are they doing? They're fighting about who's going to be the greatest. So remember that Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem to be crucified, his disciples, so unaware are fighting about who's going to be the greatest. And they are concerned what I call the wow now life. They want the power. They want the prestige. See, what they're thinking of is Jesus being a king on planet Earth and those two, the disciples, with him in all his glory and all his wonder. Imagine that. You know, like a king on Earth. That's what they're thinking about. But in Luke chapter 4, we know that Jesus actually rejected the wow now our life. When he was told to turn the, the stones to bread, what did he say? You cannot live by bread alone. And when he was offered all the kingdoms of the world, what did he say? He said, you should worship the Lord your God and serve him only. See, Jesus rejected this world in a sense and leadership and rulership in this world as an earthly king. He rejected all the wow now and the glam and the bling. And friends, you know, every day you and I, we live in this world and we battle. Well, maybe it's just me. We battle. We battle to live for just this world and to have all the things of this world rather than saying I need to give it all to the Lord Jesus Christ. I need to live and give my all for the kingdom of God. When I was teaching many years ago, a young boy in year four said this to me, and I was teaching about the death and resurrection, and he said, you know what, sir? People forsake their needs in pursuit of their wants. Year four, can you imagine it? Well, he fell over backwards when he said that, but that's true, isn't it? people of our world forsake their need of Jesus in pursuit of what they want because they feel what they want is more powerful and wonderful than what Jesus has to offer and so I want to encourage you to think about that because we battle every day and I'm in my 60s now and I'm still battling with just living for this world and living for Jesus Well, my first point is there's a mission within a mission. And Jesus came to die for us. And Jesus came to lead us to follow him in the mission. My second point is uh, mission prep. Now, in chapter 10, verse 1 and 2, it says, The Lord appointed 72 and sent them out ahead of him. And notice he asks and says to pray for more workers. Just before this passage in chapter 10, there are three people that come looking or one comes to volunteer to follow Jesus or two volunteer and one is asked to follow Jesus. Now, that comes before this passage because Jesus wants followers to follow him where? To follow him into the mission. See, when you follow Jesus, there's a different priority that we have now. We're living for a king. He becomes the highest priority. And living for the king, having him as the highest priority, would take deliberate commitment. Deliberate commitment. Me deliberately saying, I'm following the king. In chapter uh, 10, verse 3 and 4, we learn that it's a costly mission. See what he says, I'm sending you out like lambs amongst wolves. It is a dangerous mission. In other words, the disciples are are going to be vulnerable. Living for Jesus means you will be put in vulnerable positions. In verse 4, he says, take nothing with you. And I guess that's like saying, you know, you need to trust Jesus to provide for you. You're not self-sufficient. Take nothing with you, as in, you need to rely and trust Jesus. Don't rely on your own self-sufficiency. We can't do that. We can't afford to do that. And then he says, talk to no one on the road. And I think that's a way of saying, disciples, when you're on the mission, be focused. Keep focused. It's so easy to want to live for this world rather than the mission. We need to remain focused. In verses 5 and 7, he says, if you um, are welcomed by a house and they accept your peace, stay there. No, notice that Jesus is the one who's opening the doors for ministry. See, Jesus will open doors for you to have ministry if you are truly following him and seeking to follow him with all your, your life. In verses 8 and 9, he says, when you're welcome, it's almost like stay and be a blessing. Stay there, bring hope, tell of the kingdom, teach, train, heal. I reckon that's like just saying, when you get someone interested in the things of Jesus, disciple them. Make them a disciple. Help them to grow and develop. One of our missionaries in the country that they were uh, living in had terrorists start targeting the Westerners. And when the missionary came home, someone asked them, are you scared? And this particular person said, when I used to walk down the street in my location, people used to say, foreigner, foreigner, under their breath. And I could hear them, and I understood it was in a negative way. Now I walk down the street after they have attacking the Westerners, And people say, foreigner, foreigner, why is she not scared? Now, she's chosen to live in this place of hostility because central to all her reasoning is the fact that Jesus and his mission is costly and she's bearing the cost. She's happy to minister in a location where it's dangerous, because mission is costly. We go amongst wolves like lambs. In verse 10, did you notice what it says? When you enter a town and you're not welcome, they were to brush the dirt off their feet and go. It's interesting, isn't it, where the follower of Jesus goes, where the missionary goes, where they are rejected they got the opportunity to walk away. But where the missionary walks away, what happens? When the follower walks away, they take the potential for blessing with them. See what Jesus is saying? Withdraw your blessing from them. Now, my particular friend and missionary that stayed in her country was because she said, who will give them the good news if I don't stay? Because not all her nation and country that she's living in is, a, is against her. But who will go and who will talk? And how will they have hope if no one's there? In verse 16, remember Jesus said this, he who listens to you listens to me and he who rejects you rejects me and the one who sent me. So mission does provide the opportunity for, I think I'm one behind provide the opportunity um, to be a blessing to people but those who refuse the lord's followers remain under judgment and jesus in that whole passage says it's worse for those in his day because they saw him and imagine how bad it is for our nation who's rejecting the very foundations that we have been built on in our Christian foundation and we're rejecting that. Imagine how bad it will be for those who have had so much opportunity to hear the gospel and they're rejecting it. They are under the devastating consequences of God. You and I, as followers of Jesus, have the opportunity to bring blessing to people or to walk away from them and withhold the blessing from them. Can I encourage you to please continue to be mission-minded? Please continue to support your missionaries and be global-focused. But please continue to ask the Lord to guide you in your own personal mission, to be a blessing to those around you, because our world is under the judgment of God. I want to turn to my third point. My third point is the mission report. In chapter 10, verse 17, I just really want to concentrate on one verse for a little bit now. In chapter 10, verse 17, the disciples return from mission and they're full of enthusiasm. And they actually go, whoa, even the demons submit to us. And that gives us a big hint straight away. Even the demons submit to us. Mission is against the spiritual forces. It's a spiritual battle that we are engaged in as we present the gospel to our world. But they're all really happy about what they've experienced. And you know what it's like, don't you? When you have a mission at this church and people respond and people become Christians, you go, oh, it was so exciting. And you do kids club and you go, oh, we had parents come and they visit us and we talk and you go, yes, it was good. Or if you've been on beach mission, you know what it's like, don't you? You get so excited about the good things that happen when you're on mission. And that's what the disciples were. They were just dancing and happy and joyful. They witnessed God at work. And yet in verse 20, what does Jesus do? He re- redirects their enthusiasm. Do not rejoice in the power of the evil spirits, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. He redirects them. Now, why does he do that? It's almost putting a damper on its not it? Don't be so happy about that. Just think about this. And they go, "Well, oh, hang on. I never even thought of that. Is my name written in heaven? I didn't know that. Well, I want to suggest there are three things that Jesus is doing. And the first thing he's doing is this. He's bringing them back down to earth, bringing them back down to reality, or making them look up to a bigger picture. Now, let me explain what I mean by this. In verse 19, he says, I gave you the power. I gave you the authority to trample on the scorpions to do everything. I gave you the power. Their successful mission was a very gift from God, from the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Any successful mission should humble us. Any successful mission should remind me that it's not me, it's not my talents, it's not my gifts. It's simply his gift. It is by his authority. It is by his power. It is by his gospel message. And mission will always be successful in some sense because the God behind the mission will succeed and bring his kingdom in, in all its wonder and all its glory. So when you go out from here today and when you meet people and when you have the opportunities to talk to people, you you remember that you go out in the power and the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ we have the right to go and talk the gospel and speak the gospel and encourage people into Christ. That's our right. We've been given the power and the authority to do this. Now, the, the mission success of the 72 is a real anticipation that Jesus' success will be in his mission, that he's going to be successful. It's anticipating his success. And he was successful. He was cursed on the cross, took the judgment of God, and he's risen from the dead. Jesus is risen. And you and I are servants of the risen king. That's our success. Jesus has risen from the dead. And to rejoice that your names are written in heaven is really all about saying, rejoice that Jesus has provided you salvation. Rejoice in that. Let me just... uh, When's the last time you've actually rejoiced in that? When's the last time you've just sat back and said, you know what, I really need to be thankful from the depth of my being that my name is written in heaven. My name is secured. My life is secured in Jesus Christ for all eternity. How wonderful! How brilliant is that? See, when Jesus says to them, rejoice that your name's in heaven, I think he's saying to them, don't look in, but look out and look up to Jesus. Don't float on the clouds of success, but see the reality. My authority will prevail. That's possibly what I think he's saying. The second one might be something like this. A reminder that there's more to do. See, imagine Jesus for a minute. He's on his mission. He's on the way to get crucified. These people have gone out and had a little bit of mission within a mission. And they come back and they're all excited. And yes, that's good. They're excited. And Jesus saying, hang on, guys. There's more to do. I'm going to Jerusalem, I've got to be crucified yet. Okay, yes, I know it's good, but let's put it in perspective. The mission's not over, there's more to do. See, this one-off mission is not going to be the only mission the disciples are going to get and be involved in. There's more to do, even for Jesus. Now, friends, let's think about this. There are 3 billion people in the world... That are considered to be gospel poor. That is with no or little opportunity of hearing about Jesus. Three billion people. There's so much more to do, isn't there? But you know what it's estimated at? If every if every evangelical gave 10 percent of their income, just the evangelical Christians, 10 percent of their income to a mission that was reaching gospel poor people and unevangelized people if we put that much of our money to that we could put 2 million more missionaries out on the field 2 million and then it's they go on and say and if we did that we could actually reach our target and Jesus could come back because we'd have gospelized the world You know how much goes to gospel poor ministry financially? One cent in every dollar. Where does the 99 other cents go to? Well, the ministry's where where we live. That's where the majority of it goes. There is so much more to do. Friends, you and I are not to stop on this mission until we find ourselves in glory... Or Jesus comes back. We've got a lot to do to make a world that knows Jesus. In 1010, he says, pray that the Lord will send out more. See? At the beginning he says, pray that the Lord will send out more. Disciples, this is not the end of the mission. There's more to go. Can I encourage you to be prayerful about your role in the mission? Some of us go, some of us stay. But if we're sent or we stay, we're all involved in the costly mission. And our Lord set the example of what it cost. The third possibility, uh, that he wants to focus them on Jesus' achievements. See what he says there? Blessed are the eyes that see what you see, for I tell you that... Many prophets and kings wanted to see what you see but do not see it and hear what you hear but do not hear it. See, Jesus is getting them to focus on his achievements, his cost to save them. And what he's saying is mission will not always be so wonderful. Every time you go out and do a mission, you're not always going to come back and say, wow, the demons submitted to me. Wow, I had so much power and authority. It's not always going to look like that. You know, there was a guy um, who ministered in Africa, Dr Livingstone, for 31 years. And you know how many converts he saw? In 32, 30, so i say 32 years he ministered for. One convert. One convert. So imagine the disciples were all excited, but he's saying, Remember that your names are written in heaven. Why? Because not all mission is so wonderful in its experience. So you remember Peter, he will be crucified upside down later on. And so Jesus is saying to them, it's hard, Jacka. Focus on me and my achievements. When you go through the dry spots in mission, make sure you're looking to me and remember that I've written your names in heaven. Do not give up even though it gets tough and difficult. And you remember what the disciples did after they were cruci- uh, Jesus was crucified? They ran into the house, they locked the doors and they locked the windows and they were in fear and trepidation. All their wow now experience that they were hoping for gone and shattered. Because Jesus was crucified. But when he turned up, resurrected, what did they do? Mission became their focus. They didn't care about the way I'm our life now. They didn't care about the bling and the glam. They wanted to live and serve the Lord Jesus Christ. See, and Jesus is saying to them, you focus on me, you fix your eyes on me, because mission's not always going to be so wonderful and delightful. You know, friends, you and I are invited to partner with God in making the vision that was given to Isaiah a reality. Because at the end of the vision, we see see nations bow down before Jesus. And as you and I go out in this world and present the gospel to people and they surrender to Lord Jesus, then nations are coming to him and bowing down. And the vision is becoming a reality as I speak. Well, friends, I encourage you to keep on working hard. And I just want to end with this little illustration. Rejoice that your names are written in heaven is clearly linked to um, following a mission and Jesus' cross-bearing activity and resurrection. Now, I meant to bring a glove with me. So just pretend I've got a glove here, right? Now, if you and I are the followers and the glove is the follower, and the follower is to go on to the mission, well, it's pretty useless, isn't it? The follower in the mission is powerless unless the hand is put into the glove. And Jesus is like the the hand that goes into the glove and empowers our mission. The resurrected Lord Jesus needs to power everything that we do for him. But if we don't open our heart up to him, if we don't invite him in, if we don't truly follow him, which is what he's called us to do, then we miss out. We can be a blessing and draw people in to Isaiah's vision, making it a reality, or we can walk away and take the blessing away. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, please help us to be people who want to serve the Lord Jesus Christ in his mission and to be empowered by him for his mission. In Jesus' name. Amen.